This is James Coover with K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District with your Extension Crop Report. Today's report is over a nutrient program and investigation tool that many farmers don't realize they can do, a crop tissue analysis. This test is done in most crops right before or during the reproductive stages to determine an after-the-fact look at plant nutrients. When this test is taken, it is too late to improve yield for that growing season, but can be used to increase fertilizer efficiency for future crops and also to help uncover underlying issues in poorer yielding areas of the field. Tissue samples are usually tested for nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium, which are often the main causes of fertility issues. But it's the secondary and micronutrient deficiencies that often remain hidden without physical symptoms, but can be uncovered in tissue sampling. These include sulfur, zinc, chloride, and iron. The last three of copper, manganese, and molybdenum can also be tested for, but are usually only deficient in extreme pH situations. There are times actually that plants can be pulling in a toxic amount of some of these nutrients or pull in too much of one nutrient to try to compensate for the lack of another. Tissue sampling is not unlike a doctor pulling a blood panel and comparing those results to what is considered a healthy range. There are times though when tissue sampling can be misleading. If the plant undergoes drought stress, there might be plenty of a nutrient in the soil, but the plant can't pull it in. Around here, a very probable compounding issue could be soil compaction, which limits the plant roots from getting to the nutrients that are available in the soil. It is also important to remember that pH is the controller of chemistry in the soil. Deficient levels of iron or magnesium likely mean pH levels are too high, while toxic levels of iron and magnesium likely means pH levels are too low, when often both nutrients have plenty of quantities in the soil. Tissue samples can actually be taken at nearly any point, but we have better healthy range comparison records for certain points in the growing season. For wheat, one of those points is now, when the wheat has headed to pollination but it hasn't started pulling nutrients from the plant into the seed yet. Collect 40 to 50 individual flag leaves, not the whole plant, and randomly around the area being tested. In corn, the first leaf below and opposite the ear is collected, and in soybeans, the top fully developed trifoliate leaf is collected at first pod set. If testing why one large area is consistently does much worse than the rest of the field, it can be useful to take two samples. One of the bad area, and one for the better rest of the field, so these two samples can be compared. Once sample, let the flag leaves dry out a little on the counter overnight. Letting a sample air dry inside overnight is a good idea for soil samples too. After that, put them into a paper bag or envelope, anything that isn't plastic that will trap in the moisture, and mail them off to the testing lab. Or you can always bring them in to your local extension office, and we will help you fill out the paperwork and ship them off for you. Late season tissue samples are yet another tool that farmers can use to hone in higher yields or diagnose issues. If you have any questions about plant tissue sampling, please give me a call at 620-778-1037. This has been James Coover with your Extension Crop Report. Next up, we'll have Wendy Powell, Livestock Production Agent for the Wildcat District. Hi, this is Wendy Powell, your Wildcat District Livestock Production Agent. Pink eye is a growing concern with summer heating up. Nearly all livestock species can get pink eye in one form or another. Pink eye is a major economic significance to producers, as an estimated $150 million is lost yearly. This serious condition can cause blindness and is preventable. In goats, the disease is called viro conjunctivitis and not related to pink eye in cattle. 
The organism can also enter the bloodstream and cause septicemia, abortion, respiratory problems, and arthritis. Flare-ups occur in times of stress. Pink eye can be spread by infected animals or their body fluids. Cloudiness of the cornea is one symptom, and no vaccine is available for goats. Eye irritation is necessary for the development of the disease. Face flies, which look like large house flies, feed around the eyes and nostrils, causing a mechanical irritation to the eyes and spreading the disease from one animal to another. The bacteria can survive on the fly for four days, so many animals can be infected by one fly. Other sources of irritations can be tall weeds and grasses rubbing the eyes as animals walk and graze. Dust on windy days and exposure to excessive UV sunlight can also increase the chances of pink eye development. Interestingly, calves are more likely to develop the disease than adult cattle, as adult cattle appear to develop protective antibodies on the surface of the eye. Bull calves have a higher incidence than heifer calves. As with many diseases, the outcome can be influenced by nutritional imbalances, such as deficiencies of protein, energy, vitamins, especially vitamin A if the forage is lower quality, and minerals, specifically copper and selenium. Early treatment with pink eye is important, not only for a successful outcome of the individual animal affected, but also to stop the shedding of the bacteria to decrease the transmission to other animals. Providing good fly control, preventing stress and overcrowding, and separating infected animals from healthy ones will help prevent the spread of the disease. A veterinarian should be consulted before using medications. A single flight control program will not work for every farm, so it often takes multiple methods of control to achieve good results. Fly tags, insecticide porons, back rubbers, dust bags, and knockdown sprays are helpful in reducing the number of adult face flies. Fly traps can also be helpful in reducing the number of flies. Feed additives are available that target the maggots that are laid in the manure. Encouraging dung beetles, which break down the manure pad, will also decrease egg survival. Face flies can develop resistance to pesticides over time, so switching the drug class of the pesticide used every year is important. For more information on disease control, give me a call at the Wildcat Extension District, 620-784-5337. Thanks, Wendy. And now, here's David Scrantz, Natural Resource and Diversified Ag Agent, with her report. This is Adavin Strauss, one of the Agriculture and Natural Resource Agents from the K-State Research and Extension Wildcat District of Crawford, Labette, Montgomery, and Wilson Counties with your K-State Research and Extension report. When raising goats, it is important to know the common diseases that can affect goats and the signs and symptoms of these diseases to be able to effectively treat ones that show signs of sickness. Coccidiosis is a common disease affecting young kids. Older goats shed coccidia in the manure and infect the pens. As coccidia build up in pens or pastures, Infection in kids is increased. Rotating all the kids through one or two pens is not recommended. Signs of coccidiosis are diarrhea or pasty feces. Sometimes this will be on the kid's rump or legs. Loss of condition, general unthriftiness, and poor growth. Acute cases sometimes result in death with no noticeable symptoms beforehand. To help prevent coccidiosis in goats, the kids need 
as little stress as possible. They should be grouped by size in clean, well-ventilated inside pens or outside pens and rotated through pens to clean ground periodically. Eradication is difficult once the facilities are infected. Coccidiostatins added to the water or feed are necessary to treat and prevent coccidiosis. A management control program also includes strict sanitation to minimize the contamination of kids with coccidia from the manure of adults or infected kids. Chronic coccidiosis is one of the main causes of poor growth in kids. It is important to keep feed off the ground and keep feed troughs free of manure. Enterotoxemia, also called overeating disease, is common in both kids and adults. Clostridium perfringens type C or D, primarily type D, can be fatal. It is usually but not always associated with a change in quality and quantity of feed. In problem herds, vaccination every three to six months may be necessary compared to once yearly in other herds. Vaccination helps prevent acute death syndrome in young kids, signs are watery diarrhea, depression, wobbly gait, and sometimes convulsions. In acute cases, kid temperature may reach 105 degrees, milk yield drops abruptly if the animal is lactating, contact your veterinarian immediately if you have a problem, treatment involves administration of antitoxin and antibiotics plus treatment of acidosis. From the K-State Research and Extension Wildcat District, this has been a Dave and Strauss with your K-State Research and Extension Report. Thank you, Adavin. And now, here is Jesse Gilmore with his report. With K-State Research and Extension, this is Jesse Gilmore bringing you this week's edition of the Hort Report. Southeastern Kansas has been known to have periods of torrential downpours in the recent past. Last week, we saw a quarter of our annual rainfall in a 72-hour period. This extreme moisture over prolonged periods makes it very hard to maintain lawns, and growth can quickly get out of hand. It is important to mow your yard in increments if the height is too tall. Turf grass responds to severe cutting by immediately using energy reserves to send out new growth. Not only will this undo all of your efforts to keep the grass at a manageable height, but it will also reduce the energy reserves your grass has built up, making it more susceptible to diseases and insects. If you need to remove more than one-third of the blade, mow it down in increments over multiple mowings, reducing the height of the mower deck until you get to your desired height. When mowing wet grass, it is also important to make sure that your soil is not overly wet. Running heavy equipment like mowers or wheelbarrows over wet soil will compact the earth. This can lead to multiple problems. Roots of turf grass and other plants will have a harder time penetrating through our hard clay soil, which leads to shallower root systems and can cause stability issues if the plants grow too tall. Compacted soil will allow less water to infiltrate, which can lead to drainage problems, which in turn leads to increased disease pressure. Lastly, compaction of the soil leads to visible mower tracks in your yard. These will disappear if wet mowing is temporary, but if repeated over multiple weeks, could lead to permanently visible tracks in your yard. The best way to avoid these drawbacks is to look ahead in the forecast and plan your mowing for dry, sunny days. 
It's now that time of the year where you will fertilize warm season grasses. Grasses fall into two categories based upon their period of active growth. Cool season grasses actively grow in the spring and fall, while warm season grasses grow in the summer. Now is the perfect time to determine whether you have a warm or cool season grass for your yard. If your lawn is already green, you have a cool season grass. If your lawn is not fully green or not green at all, the grass is still dormant and your yard either has a mix of multiple turf species or is a warm season grass. In yards with any warm season grass, nitrogen is the most important nutrient to apply. Soil samples in southeastern Kansas typically run low in nitrogen because of leaching from heavy rainfall. Bermuda grass, buffalo grass, and zoysia the three most common warm season grasses all require different amounts of nitrogen. For details on what to apply, visit the Horticulture Info Center at hnr.ksu.edu forward slash extension. The Horticulture team with K-State Research and Extension is hosting weekly webinars from noon to 1 p.m. on Wednesdays, covering a variety of different topics. Next week's topic will be all about tomatoes and how to prevent disease and insect damage. Other upcoming topics include weed management in the lawn and garden, gardening to attract pollinators, successfully growing plants indoors, and entomology basics. You can find registration information in the Horticulture Info Center. Registration is required to attend. For more information on today's topic, contact your local Extension office. I can be reached at 620-724-8233 or at my email address, jr637 at ksu.edu. Thank you, Jesse, and thank you for listening to K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District Ag Team on KGGF 690 Radio.